Well, as most of you know, my wife and I left uh, the church building on Sunday of last week, and we headed out to um, our trip to Bremen, Indiana, and to our attendance at the uh, Reformed Baptist Network's uh, yearly uh, gathering. I guess I should tell you that this was the third time I've been to Bremen for a conference. Actually, it's the fourth time I've been in the church. One time we stopped there on the way to a conference. And uh, my time there has always been, considering it uh, to be a very um, exemplary, friendly church. Uh, People who visit there, they tend to get their inquiries as to whether your needs are adequately and fully met whether you have a place to go in the afternoon if you're they're really great they're they and of course um pastor john heaney has been pastor there for well i guess since uh my first time there i think he was uh um, becoming a pastor then his father bob heaney was the pastor of the church and um but since he took over the pastorate until his dad died some some years back, um, he and his wife uh, were just exemplary in terms of hospitality and such. And some of you are aware that uh, Mrs. Heaney went to be with the Lord, uh, I believe, about three years ago. Uh, John told me, I think they were celebrating the third you know, her, 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 uh, year of her home going. And it's just one another thing about that church, just how people in that that uh, situation of being widows and widowers have rallied to the support of one another and just hearing some of the people who have lost uh, spouses in the last few years just speaking about how the church has uh, comforted them and apparently now there are people that come to their support group from all around uh, just because of the the compassion, the um, care uh, that uh, these folks take uh, for one another. So again, it's an encouraging church, and it was an encouraging week. Uh, the people went over and beyond uh, to make us feel welcomed, uh, to provide for our needs. Um, and um, so we're very thankful for the um, opportunity again to visit at Bremen. Um, I was there in 1990 for the first time, and at that time, the group that met was called Reformed Baptist Mission Services, RBMS. And it's interesting that on that occasion, the first devotion, the first day, was given by the father of the man who gave the first devotion the first day this year, Aaron Hoke, who pastors in Warsaw, Indiana. His father, Tim Hoke, uh, 32 years ago, gave uh, the opening devotional, and Aaron gave the opening devotional uh, this time. I don't, I don't know if, it was ever, if anybody mentioned it, but I, I mentioned it to Aaron 30 years ago, your dad was the one who led in the first devotion of the first day of the gathering for RBMS. Again, that was a mission service uh, 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 group, and this one is also centered in missions. But in between, there was the ARPCA group that came to birth, and that was an extension, really, of RBMS, uh, people who wanted to see something more than just the missions services, the Reformed Baptists helping one another with our church's missions program, they wanted to see a national association, and uh, that came to being. And, of course, now that's no longer existing. I think the group that now remains is like 13 churches. I just saw that they changed their name. Now they're calling themselves confessional, the confess, confessors, I don't know, something about confession, Confessional Baptist Association. Now they're the CBA. Oh, well. Um, anyway. Uh, so I went back there in 2000, 
14, 15, maybe it was early, maybe it was 2012, I don't remember exactly, uh, for the ARPCA meeting, and then we're back for the uh, RBNet meeting. Um, on our way out there, we ran into um, Phil and Jean Horges. Some of you know that, know them. We met them at the rest stop uh, on the highway, and um, it was great to see them, great to stop for a bit and talk and have fellowship and one of the things I learned was about the, the homegoing of a very influential leader of the Reformed Baptist churches. And um, I think I told you that uh, I tried to get some confirmation on the internet, couldn't, couldn't get confirmation, but um, later on had it confirmed that uh, this man had gone uh, to be with the Lord. And uh, it might seem a strange thing, a man who had a great impact upon many of us. Uh, I'm looking at some faces and you can say, yes, he had an impact on me, um, that there shouldn't be some notice of his death. Um, there shouldn't be some announcement of his death. Um, being out there, there was an announcement of the death of um, Jorge Molina. Jorge Molina, the missionary to La Carlos Paz in Argentina, we did learn that, I, I believe it was COVID, he did not survive COVID. He had health problems. But uh, COVID, he, he was not able to survive. Um, but we didn't hear about the death of this person, um, very sadly. And I said it's a cautionary tale. And it's a cautionary tale that I want to tell, just in terms of the legacy that we leave. Now, this leader left a slew of books. And they're still in print. You can read them. And you can benefit by them. But there's one thing you'll notice about those books. Even if you go into a list of Christian book distributors, if, if you know his name, you can do that, um, is that 90% of them address issues that are controverted in the church. There are issues that address matters like easy believism and why that's incorrect and that's wrong, or the charismatic movement and why that's incorrect and why that's wrong. Uh, matters having to do with theonomy, um, God's law, uh, law rule. Uh, th- it's a complicated thing, theonomy, but uh, why that's wrong. And in the same book, the opposite extreme to the theonomy, which is uh, antinomianism, which is uh, resolute uh, uh, opposition to divine law, uh, that's wrong. And then there's a book about the Sabbath day and why. Uh, those who do not keep the Sabbath, why that's wrong. And on and on and on you go uh, as to the controversial nature of the writing ministry. And it was helpful to us, enlightening to us, particularly the one on easy believism, that a lot of us were saved through similar kinds of systems of uh, approach, of gospel uh, reach, outreach, of evangelism, and to get our heads uh, screwed on straight uh, at least about some elements of evangelism that are just not uh, present in, 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 in large swaths of the at least the church of the 1970s when we first read that book hopefully things are a bit better in terms of evangelism today I don't know for sure but I'm, hope, I'm hopeful <laughs> I always endeavor to live in hope on some of these issues but um, when you have that type of a negativity And I have to call it negativity. You're looking out for the things that people are doing wrong in order to write a book to to, uh, correct it. You gain a certain outlook on things that 
is always having your antenna up as to what's wrong. In fact, there are places in the Christian world, at least back then, maybe not today, back then, in which young people who went to colleges and seminaries that trained for the Christian ministry were actually told by their professors, and this is something I think we would equate sometimes with what we think of when we think of fundamentalism, uh, kind of the fight and fundy attitude that's looking to find all the errors and take your position very clearly. This is what Bible-believing Christians believe, and everything else is, you know, and you know, no compromise, no argument, no discussion. Here's where we stand, and everything else is wrong. Is uh, that people were actually told in training for the ministry, go into an area uh, where you're going to settle and find where you differ from the guy down the street. They may be a Bible-believing Christian, but they don't believe yada, yada, yada. And that's what you do is the wedge issue to bring people to your own assembly is that you say, we're the ones that are right and orthodox and biblical and faithful and true because we believe this and they do not or we practice this and they do not. So you find this wedge issue and really it's not evangelism, it's really not church planting, it's just simply redistributing the church population so that you're to your advantage you get them coming to your 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 assembly and i've always thought that was very wrong and unethical in fact when people come to visit here from other churches they've been encouraged when they've had problems in their own churches to go back and see if they can still you know get things smoothed over i'm not looking to steal people from other churches that to me that would simply not that that's not part of we spoke about uh, the ministry's remit or the the um, the responsibilities or the portfolio that the church gives to God's God's servants ain't part of mine ain't part of mine to look to steal sheep from other other people but um, it's that sort of negativity that makes you ask the question not what do we have in common but what do we have at odds with others And it's unfortunate that uh, this man who had a great influence in uh, our lives, many of our lives, uh, through his writing ministry and in his church, through his preaching ministry and through sermons that are available online even to this day, continuing to have an influence for good, uh, began to find reasons to to, uh, see fault and to find grounds for separation not out there with that group of people or that group of people or that group of people or that group of people but a little bit closer to home with the group of people that he was once a part of and there was a major split that occurred and there was a big division there was uh, bad feelings there was I mean I went to a a wedding one time where uh, people from the church that the man pastored approached me and found out I attended a school that uh, that man felt was not adequate. They were teaching something wrong. And I was uh, asked if, uh, and they heard I, where I was from, where I went to school. They said, oh, I hope you were not influenced by the so-so error. I mean, where's that coming from? A Christian I meet at a wedding is going to raise a question like that. I hope you weren't uh, badly influenced at the place you went to school and got your pastoral training by the so-so error. Well, first of all, there was no social error being taught in the, church, in the school that I attended. That is crystal clear. And that man has been told this, or had been told this many, many times. But you know what happens when you become very controversial in your orientation? 
and you become very dogmatic and you become sticking in your heels, at that point, you're right and everybody else is wrong. You're right and there's no room to compromise. And that's one of the terrible things. No, we're not a people of compromise. We're a people who believe objective truth and the things that are crucial to life and godliness, the things that we would consider the first order teachings of the Bible, are things that are not meant... I mean, we don't debate if Jesus rose from the dead in this assembly. It's an assumed reality that we live in the light of. We believe the testimony of the Word of God. And those things in the Bible that are crystal clear, we affirm and we teach, and it's not a matter of debate, and there's no compromise to be made. Let's try to find a position between he raised, was raised from the dead and he wasn't raised from the dead. Where do you end up in a compromise? There's no place to compromise. Either he was or he wasn't. That's in either or. It's not an and both. And both can exist with the question of Christ's resurrection. But you know, there's lots of things in the Bible that are not either or. Lots of things in the Bible that are both and. And I hope in the way, in the way I've taught God's word through the years, given you some options about different ways in which scripture has been seen and understood by teachers, that many times um, the truth lies really in the middle. Or the truth lies really with uh, understanding that uh, the Bible allows for both. Both things are taught in God's word. It's both and, not either or. Not everything is an either or issue, but in the midst of controversy, everything becomes either or issues. Everything becomes matters where there is just simply no ground for people of goodwill to compromise because people uh, don't realize they're really not of a goodwill in that matter because they're determined that they are right and everybody else is wrong. And that's where really that whole thing ended up. And, you know, I, you know the details of it are, are just not necessary. But the warning is that we, we don't want to leave that kind of legacy of just people that have gotten embittered about things that we uh, have argued about among Christians. And, um, you know, it, it really got bad. And the fact that the announcement of the death was not made, it's not on the Internet, it wasn't made, at uh, ARPCA, uh, not ARPCA, <laughs> Reformed Baptist Network, um, just indicates the depth of the uh, division and the hostility and enmity that's present within people and families. And um, um, in fact, there was something that did came out, out that uh, there was a desire that people didn't know because there were certain unwanted people who they didn't want to have them come to the funeral. So when um, you know, he died, that's the, the posture. I'm, I'm sure not everybody, but some people in the family took that posture. So is that the legacy we want to leave? But I, I, I'm stating this. Um, um, there's anonymity here with respect to the people we're talking about. But um, I'm not going to be anonymous here because I'm holding in my hand a book that I got off the table from the uh, Reformed Baptist Seminary, uh, Dr. Bob Gonzalez. Uh, he was part of a group of people. He wrote, uh, they, this is a fest, a festschrift. <clears throat> Sorry, it's German. It's a German word, a festschrift. And uh, that's a German word that, loosely, it means a celebratory writing. It's a celebratory writing. And there are festschrifts that are written uh, for notable people who have made notable accomplishments, usually in academia. Uh, when the professor retires, there will be other professors that taught on the same faculty. They'll get together, they'll write a festschrift in honor of that person. 
Well, this is a fest script that was uh, written in honor of someone who's now with the Lord, Dr. Bob Martin, Dr. Robert Paul Martin, who was uh, a teacher at the school I attended, Trinity Ministerial Academy, for many years. I think he taught at Southern Baptist schools. He taught at other schools before he came uh, to Trinity. And then for years he pastored out in uh, Washington State at SeaTac at the Emanuel Baptist Church. And um, um, a good man, a godly man, a useful man. A man who's authored a number of very excellent uh, books, commentary on Hebrews, for instance, that's very useful. Um, but this fast script that was put together for Dr. Bob, uh, and again, you have to have a certain knowledge of uh, the controversy that has existed, sadly, in our Reformed Baptist associations. But the people that contributed to this fast script are people that run the gamut of the whole, uh, the whole spectrum of uh, divisions within our Reformed Baptist um, uh, world. Uh, people that opposed one another in certain boxable things. Their names are right next to one another in this fest script. And all of them found unity. I think they found considerable unity in relationship to one another. But certainly all found unity in respect and love for, for Dr. Bob Martin. And that's the sort of legacy that we want to leave. We want to live in such a way that uh, even if we can't be members of a association or a service organization such as RBNet. And we were members there. We were part of the, uh, I was there at the first meeting, thanks to Tim who enabled me to get out to uh, Colorado. Um, also, we were there for the, organi- the organizing or constituting meeting. We were part of 26 churches that were the first that joined. And we were part of it for a couple of years. And then I found uh, there was necessity in, in my mind and understanding, both in the history we have with associations and bunches of other things, just to say, I prefer to be a friend. I prefer to be a friend rather than a member. And uh, I wrote a letter, and I read the letter to you, and uh, you all said that's fine, that we should uh, change our status in reference to the Reformed Baptist Network. And you know, a lot of people read that letter and they felt, uh, well, that's it. We'll never see Paul Gordon again. He'll never come to one of these things. Obviously, there's something wrong with his view of us. And then when I showed up, they were all surprised to see me. I didn't think we would see you. And I just said, I told you I'd come. (laughs) I told you I'd come. And uh, because I am your friend, I, I may not be a member, and I have some significant reasons not to be in the membership but I have no excuse not to be a friend because I do believe in the missions work they're seeking to do. And I do believe that in the 90, you know, if you take 100% of, of teachings, practices, approaches, styles, all the rest, um, we're somewhere within 75 to 100% of agreement with just about every one of those churches that are involved. And, and they tend to be all different from one another, but we're still, you know, we're, we're in the, we're in the, um, the, um, mainstream of what those churches represent and so we have far more in common with them than we have at odds with them and so we want to be a friend to this group and we were thankful that we could be part of it. Um, Some of you saw the meetings online and um, uh, at least one brother approached me and said that was a really good conference and you're right it was. It was a very good conference. First of all it was well attended it was super well attended. Um, there may have been some ARPCA conferences we'd gone to that are, had that many. There were, there were over 200 people 
in attendance. And then when the church members came in the evening, uh, the place was filled and there was overflow rooms. And um, so, you know, it's, it's a decently sized building, but uh, it was it was filled to capacity. In fact, even our meals, I think there was room for 160 in the place where they had the meals and they had to have uh, an outside area with tables and tents put up uh, for the overflow. Um, but uh, it was um, it was a good meeting. The, the, the hymns were great. Our songs were great. The, the missionary presentations were uh, very helpful. It was good to see so many people that we have been friends with for a very long time, um, and then meet some folks that we had no idea. Reformed Baptist Church in Death Valley, California. <laughs> had no idea there was a Reformed Baptist Church in Death Valley. Probably a place I'd like to visit. 100 degree temperature. I'd like to see how that feels. Maybe more. A lot more, I think, in the summertime. Anyway, so um, the speaker was David Campbell, uh, who, interestingly enough, was the successor of the other man that I've I've mentioned who went to be with the Lord. And um, at least in terms of his ministry here in the States, out in Pennsylvania, and um, David's ministry was was just such a blessing. It seemed as if whatever chaos might be going on here, there, or everywhere, uh, he began to lead and speak and uh, just brought our hearts back to, to Christ, to the Word. Um, it just dignity. He's a Scotsman, so you'd expect that. But uh, he's a Scotsman filled with joy, filled with love. Um, even sometimes to hear him speak certain things and, and have a little laugh in his voice as he spoke. Um, just expressive of just a heart of, of, of grace and goodwill. And um, his ministry uh, was on the theme of preparing for the next generation. And he chose passages that were really on point, really on point. You know, sometimes you go to a, 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 a place and someone's a guest speaker or someone's going to speak on a given subject, and they're all over the map. <laughs> David was just really on point about principles for preparing for uh, the next generation. And um, the first night he spoke uh, about Timothy, and Paul's choice of Timothy to join the group that... Uh, uh, on the second missionary journey. Remember when he launched out that second missionary journey? First there was that um, problem with uh, Barnabas. They couldn't agree upon John Mark. And what did they do? They, they, they decided that um, Paul and Barnabas would go, um, and Silas would go to the places where they'd formerly been. And uh, Barnabas then took John Mark and they sailed for Cyprus. And though there was a strong disagreement and dissension between them on the point of whether John Mark should go, they didn't delegitimize the ministry of the other. Uh, there was a perfect recognition that uh, God was in what the other man was doing. And they remained supportive of one another. In fact, later on, of course, John Mark becomes useful to Paul for ministry. I believe it's in the Colossian letter. He mentions John Mark. And it's also, I think, one of the other letters to Timothy. He mentions John Mark, and of course, John Mark is the figure who wrote the the, the second gospel, the gospel according to Mark. And so God was uh, in the whole thing, even though Paul and Barnabas couldn't get on with the decision, and they separated, yet there was that high regard they had for one another. So again, an ability to be friends, even if you're not 
um, members of the same missionary group. But when Paul got to Lystra, um, there was this man Timothy there, who was well reported of the, of the elders. And um, he looked at uh, Timothy's qualifications. So the qualifications for the next generation. What sort of men should we be looking for to be going on missions work or being leaders in the church or leaders in whatever respect the church needs leaders? Well, sort of qualities that Timothy uh, possessed um, in terms of reputation. I have a whole. I don't have the whole list before me, but you you heard it. It was really an excellently crafted sermon, and it was excellently presented. And I'd recommend that very highly if you uh, go to, I think YouTube they put it on, or maybe RBNet's uh, own website. Uh, you'll find access to these messages, and it was a very excellent message. And then, interestingly enough, the second message, the second night that was on Tuesday, was a message um, from Second Corinthians and the twelfth chapter. And of course, here in Sunday school last week, that's the very chapter we looked at, the very passage that we looked at. So it's always interesting for a pastor to, having preached on that passage, say, okay, what is he going to say? Do I want to go back and re-preach it? Do I want to preach it in terms of the way he did it? Well, no. But did I benefit from what he said? Immensely, I did. Um, And what he did basically there, he did something interesting. But of course, he's dealing with the question of, you know, people for the next generation. Um, He went and he made the presentation in accordance with how God molds his servants, uh, what God does in molding his servants. And he sort of gave the proposition that all of life, God is at work in fashioning his servants. It's not just at one point, ordination, some blessing from heaven comes upon a person and then suddenly they're equipped for the work. But everything that God does in in people's lives. I mean, Paul said before, um, I was conceived in my mother's womb. Um, God set him apart. Jeremiah also making statements like that. Um, So God's at work in all of our life. Uh, Molding Paul, for instance, in terms of his, his Jewish background, his Roman background, his Greek background, all of which prepared him for gospel ministry in that world that uh, he was called to serve. And so that was basically the point that he was making. But he took the passage in Corinthians to point to Paul's experiences 14 years ago when he was uh, taken up into the third heaven, saw things uh, not lawful to be uttered, and had this great experience that he doesn't describe for us of uh, beholding in vision um, those things that he he beheld. So he's not behind anybody in... Um, and visions and uh, revelations. God had given him visions and revelations in abundance. Um, so, but he, he took that thought of visions and revelations as basically comprising the good experiences of the Christian life. Great experiences. You wouldn't think that Paul would say, I wish I didn't have that experience. It was a real bummer. No, it was an experience that was just totally amazing and wonderful. Uh, and meaningful and uh, something though he couldn't report it in good conscience he could always draw from it as something that was a great intimacy that he had uh, with God and so in the Christian life uh, God is molding us through those kinds of experiences 
But that's not the only kind of experiences that God uses to mold and shape us and grow us. And then he moved into the thorn in the flesh part of the passage and uh, saw how God was pleased to use that thorn in the flesh to keep Paul from pride. And uh, there was lessons to be learned uh, in, in the midst of affliction. Again, a constant theme of Holy Scripture that uh, counted all joy, my brethren, when you fall into different kinds of trials because uh, the trying of our faith, uh, it works. These graces, these things needed in the Christian life, steadfastness and endurance and hope and uh, such things as these. And uh, certainly something that would make you humble is a very vital part of our training. And so God uses all of the experiences of life uh, to mold his servants and then the, the final night, he went back to the book of the book of Acts, and um, he addressed the the uh, ways in which God uh, not only molds his servants, but also um, he molds circumstances and situations. He molds people for given places and circumstances in given times. So God is sovereign over all of this. Because when Paul sought to go down to Mysia, the spirit suffered him not. And when he sought to go up to Asia Minor, uh, uh, the spirit of Jesus uh, forbade him. And then at night he has a dream of the Macedonian man, come over and help us. And then they concluded that God had called them to go to Macedonia. So you know, God said, no, no to this place, no to this place. Why? Uh, again, we don't know, but we can perhaps surmise that uh, at least for Asia uh, it was not a definitive no for all time it was a, a, a later because later on Paul goes to Ephesus and he spends probably the longest place time in any one place three years a space of three years he was in Asia Minor in the city of Ephesus and there we're told in Acts 18 that all Asia heard the word of God that's in chapter 18 all Asia heard the word of God because Paul set up headquarters in the principal city of Ephesus but over in 16, not, no, you can't go to Asia. So at that point, it was a not yet. And the other thing is that maybe God has another servant fitted for that particular place or ministry. So he brought up all these, you know, very, just very wonderful points of the way that a sovereign God works in the molding of men, times, situations, uh, to further the working of his grace. So... Um, I know he spoke on Thursday a missionary um, uh, message or a bi- biographical message, I think it was uh, James called. James Gilmore. Uh, about somebody named James Gilmore. Gilmore. That, well, that's someone he knew. I imagine he's Scots. Yeah. He's Scotsman. He went to China. To the Mongoloids. Okay. He went, he went to China. Yeah, I don't know if we say Mongoloids today, but China? Yeah, China. Yes. <laughs> Asia today. Yeah. Got to be careful. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh, but it was Fact that uh, didn't see much fruit in his ministry, but God was in it. Yeah. You don't know what God is doing. Yes. What's that about? James Gilmore. Well, good. Well, it's it's on it's online uh, for you to hear. So um, I, I imagine Mongolia is still a point in our our map. So that's perhaps a proper yeah. So that might that might be proper. I mean, I don't know. I always ask. I always ask. It's the the kind and proper thing to ask. Anyway, um, 
So it was a rich ministry of uh, David Campbell. And uh, again, I would recommend those messages uh, for you uh, to hear them. Uh, We decided to come back early um, just because uh, two and a half days, I feel very conferenced out at that point. Uh, There wasn't many times I was just able to sit quietly. (laughs) Always seems that somebody wants to talk about something or another. So, um, yeah, so I was uh, wearied and uh, we were just at a point where we were staying near a highway. And so we thought it would just be best to hook up with the highway and come on back. Uh, We came back on a very circuitous uh, route um, and uh, took us a long time. And also we had a problem with the car. Uh, I think it was the second day uh, we were taking just a ride out in the area and the car began to shake. And Janet had that problem while she was still here in Pinebush. But, I mean, that car had been, the tires, uh, everything had been looked at, whether this is an alignment problem or just what. For most of the trip it wasn't a problem at all. But then it became a problem just with the car shaking. We're thankful we got back uh, okay. And we went to some uh, premium gas and hoping if it's an octane problem, if we're getting shaking or knocking or whatever the thing is doing, then maybe that would take care of it. Um, But now that we're back home, we'll have a chance to uh, explore that. Um, I guess the other thing that I didn't mention is that on the way out, uh, we had an emergency room visit for me. Um, back uh, when I had my eye surgery, they um, you know, saw uh, there were some problems. It was much longer that this surgery took. And for some reason, um, well, I noticed it uh, the first night in the hotel we stayed in uh, Youngstown, which incidentally, you all know that uh, the Nichols uh, from Catskill made Youngstown their their goal the first day. We made it our goal. We booked at the same hotel, so we were able to meet each other, have dinner together, um, have breakfast the next morning, uh, have a ministry to a woman. I might tell you a little bit about her in the morning sermon, um, just in terms of some of the things that uh, she thought and as she approached us. Uh, she, she, she met a couple of guys and she, she probably didn't have any idea what she was going to experience meeting us, but um, we, we were gracious and kind, and uh, at the end, we hugged one another, but uh, it was an interesting ministry that we had uh, to this, this woman, uh, people from Wisconsin who were passing through and heard Greg, Greg and I talking about the things of the Lord and um, was bold enough to come up and um, think that some way we had some sympathy with some of her church experience, which we didn't, but we were kind and um, did our best to interact, uh, I think, uh, appropriately with her. But I'll say more about that, I think, in the morning. But um, getting uh, into the room at, at night, I, I just felt a burning sensation in this eye. And you do your best not to rub it because, you know, you got a, a lens in there and uh, you, don't, you don't want to do that. So um, then in the middle of the night, I began to feel a pain very deep in the eye. And it was very disconcerting, but I did my best to try to not think about it and go back to sleep. And then the next morning, um, at first there was no problem, but as we got in the car and we started to head west, it began again. And I was driving, and uh, I realized it was probably not the best idea for me to be driving, so ultimately we pulled over. um, And then where we pulled over, um, 
Jan looked at my eye and said, it's all red. It's all red. And uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't rubbing it. So whatever that redness came from, it wasn't because there was excessive rubbing. Maybe in my sleep I, I was rubbing, but I don't think it had to do with rubbing. And I went and I looked into the, in the men's room and I saw just that that did not look good. So we ended up getting off the highway, going went to a, an emergency room. Um, my my blood pressure was sky high, which you know, the previous Saturday I had my my annual physical, and my blood pressure was one twenty over sixty five. Wow. Yeah, that was, that was pretty good. But in the hospital in Bryan, Ohio, not Bryant, but Bryan, Ohio, it was like 170, 180. I think it was like 185. It went down to 170, maybe a little below that by the time we left. Um, of course, there was no ophthalmologist on staff in an emergency room. So what they ended up doing was they ended up treating me for, um, I guess, conjunctivitis. He gave me eye drops and... Uh, by the, end, by the evening, the redness was gone. I don't know if it was the medicine um, or just the fact that the pain w- was remedied by... Well, I, I have this theory about the old days when you would get for pain before you know, the opioids became very common. They would give you 800 milligrams of ibuprofen. And so to, my experience is you, gotta, you take that once. Whatever's hurting you stops. It kind of breaks the cycle of pain. Don't do it unless, you know, you can, I'm not telling you not to do it, but <laughs> don't do it twice, I'll say. I'll say, don't do it twice. Do it once. And that breaks the cycle of pain. And so the pain started to, um, um, it had a precipitous decline in severity. And then, um, so the pain's gone, the redness is gone. I have an appointment with an ophthalmologist on Tuesday, so I'll get checked out there someone who can actually look at the eye and have a, an educated appraisal. But that was an interesting providence um, with um, needing to go to the emergency room on the way. But um, it was good. It was a, I'm, I'm glad we went. I don't know how many more years we're going to be able to do those kinds of trips like we did. Um, but I'm glad this time that we, we did it. Do you have anything else to add? Uh, oh, the ladies' meetings that Jan went to uh, were very profitable, enjoyable. She, of course, Jan makes friends easily, and um, you do. <laughs> You'd like to add anything? No. Anybody have any questions um, about the things I covered this morning? No? Well, why don't we then just go to prayer one or two can lead out just to pray for the work of the Reformed Baptist Mission Society. I should tell you, there, there must have been more than a dozen. I don't know exactly how many. Sorry? Somebody say something? I just cleared my throat. Oh, I thought you could tell me the exact number. <laughs> okay. It's Mike's department. It's Mike's department. No, well, anyway, um, there was at least a dozen new churches that joined and uh, several individuals including uh, Pastor Nichols the, the Catskill Church didn't join but they have individual members as well as he joined as an individual um, the church down in Lumberton Jersey, New Jersey joined John Ruther and that group uh, joined 
Um, and so, you know, from the Jersey group, you have now Englewood is a member and um, Lumberton is a member. And then from up here, of course, you have uh, Greentown is a member. Um, Lafayette is a member to our south. And uh, at Catskill, Pastor Nichols is a member. So, anyway. Uh, Amos and Leah were both there? Amos and Leah were there. Jim Dom was not. Jim Dom was not, but they're representing, of course, Englewood. Yeah, yeah. And Phil and Jean were representing Lafayette. Yeah. And, of course, Pastor Dot Johnson was there, but not, uh, not his wife. He was there by himself. Well, let's have a couple people just pray for the work of the network, and uh, I'll, I'll conclude. Go back and, and, and preach with great zeal. And, um, 
great knowledge and, and great um, concern, Father, for the for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. So we do thank you for this great this good representation of of um, preachers and missionaries and the ability to uh, to see one another and Father to to even to educate our prayers in so many ways. So Father, we continue to pray. We do pray for um, Dave Chansky, Father, and uh, for Mark Chansky and and and, and the whole managing this group and, and the things that go on. And Father, we would even think of, of Gordon Taylor and Father the, the wonderful opportunity that you did give him over the years. We would pray for him even as he would take a, a, a new church in, in Wisconsin he's been asked to preach and he's agreed to we bless you for him and we bless you for his his testimony. So be with Lord, we pray. Um, Father, we do thank you for traveling mercy. We know that you are the God that concerns our concerns and heart. We do thank you for the safekeeping of our pastor and his wife and bringing them back safely to us. And we do pray, Father, that uh, the pastors now would have the ability to share with their congregations uh, the things that transpire and will continue to transpire uh, as, as future leaders are, are uh, groomed and molded and, and um, made for the kingdom of God. So we pray to this end. We do thank you for uh, Pastor David Campbell that he had the ability to speak so well and speak so personally and speak so pointedly uh, to the matters of Scripture and to the matters of our souls. We do thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, we're thankful for the faithful churches. We're thankful for the forms in which representatives of churches can gather in conference to talk with one another, to speak about the issues of the kingdom of God, to learn about what each other are doing, and we might pray better and more knowledgeably for the needs that are among us. So we're thankful for the grouping of churches that met out in Indiana. We're thankful for the Fellowship Baptist Church and the open-hearted reception that they gave to those who were there. And pray, Lord, you'd continue to bless that church. Be with Brother John Heaney, again in these days of his being a widower. Lord, you'd encourage him and you'd supply all of his needs in accordance with your own riches and glory. Think of the many people in that church also in a similar situation. We're thankful for the group of encouragers that meet together on a regular basis. And we're thankful, Father, for just the opportunity again to be among uh, other groupings of Christians, of seeing friends and uh, familiar faces, as well as meeting new folk. And again, pray that your blessing would be upon all the churches that were represented and all the mission endeavors that were um, that are that these churches represent. 
that the, the work of your kingdom would flourish in days to come. We're thankful for the privilege of gathering in this place this Lord's Day morning and pray that your presence would be in our midst, that your blessing would rest upon us, that your word would be rich and, um, and encouraging. We pray that our day together might be to the praise of your glory as we'd ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.